Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. And thanks for coming out here and joining us this morning. It's, it's awesome. I really like that. I appreciate you trusting us with your morning. And if you're joining us for the first time online, or if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. And if you're wondering, you're like, well, where's your lead pastor? We do have a lead pastor for the church, Clint Schwartz. He is actually leading that team that Matt, our, other, our associate pastor, Matt, mentioned earlier over in Uganda right now. So we're definitely thinking of them. We're missing them this morning, so have a few holes. But it's awesome that we have a team on the other side of the world right now. They might be going to bed here pretty soon, I think. I'm not sure. but So anyway, again, my name is Lyndon, one of the leaders here. Uh, a little bit about my wife and myself, Krista. She's over here. She was playing keys this morning and singing. Uh, she and I have been married for just a little over 21 years now. And we got, ah, it's fun. Uh, it's okay. Uh, we've been, we married when we were barely 20, very, very young. Um, some people know what that's like. Uh, but Krista had this crazy idea that we should move to a different country right after we got married and do missions work. And man, I didn't want to. I wanted to just stay put and build houses with my dad. And, but since I'm definitely the, the more strong, commandeering person in the relationship, a year later we moved to Nicaragua. <laughs> and uh, so about at 21, we moved to the country of Nicaragua, right down in Central America. And we were there for roughly two and a half years doing missions work there. It was a great time. Moved back home, ended up um, starting our little family. We had Karis and Jeremy. Um, Karis, my daughter, she was over here singing this morning. It's fun. They're growing up in the church. Jeremy's sitting over here. They're, really, they're all here representing this morning. And uh, we were really starting to get kind of settled in. I got a job, a good job in the aluminum industry. And uh, we were really starting to just get settled. Well, in that time that we were back home, we felt like God was calling us to move back down to Central America. And I was like, what in the world? Okay, all right. Well, and back to Costa Rica, to be specific. And if you're wondering, well, why Costa Rica? Well, Nicaragua and Costa Rica are, are neighboring countries. And we would travel to Costa Rica to learn Spanish, learn the language, and then back and forth to renew our tourist visas and things like that. And during that time, we got to know a couple and some people in Costa Rica, and we fell in love with what they were doing, and, and that's how we had connections with Costa Rica. So long story short, we were home for about three years, and then in the winter of 2008, we moved. We found ourselves moving our little family back down to Costa Rica. So each time we moved to a foreign country, it was, it was difficult. It wasn't easy. Um, we didn't speak Spanish at all, hardly at all, other than like hola and donde esta el baño before we went to Nicaragua the first time. And that was hard. That was really hard for me. Ah, I don't think it was hard for Krista. Nothing's hard for her. But it was hard for me. Um, that alone right there was a crazy ordeal. So when we moved, having the Spanish language firmly um, developed into our brains when we moved back, that was a big help for me and that made it easier for, for the most part. But I would say that moving back to Costa Rica was the crazier move for us. You see, we had two small children. 
Karis was two years old. Jeremy was two months old when we moved. And it's amazing. We had all kinds of people, family, very caring and loving, but were telling us that this isn't smart. You know, you're taking your kids um, to a dangerous part of the world. All of a sudden, everyone knew more about Costa Rica than we did, even though we had lived there almost six months, you know, more than six months. Like, what if they need care, like health care, things like that? It's dangerous. They, they weren't all thrilled about that. They were thinking, that's kind of crazy. Um, why did we feel this crazy need to go? Um, before, we were just kind of, we were young and dumb, but now we were just dumb, you know? What were we thinking? Um, we, it probably didn't help that we put most of our possessions into a little trailer, packed it tight, and sent it down with a friend of ours. He drove it all the way down ahead of us. We were really moving. We were committing. We thought that we might be here for a very long time. We don't know if we'll return. We were thinking that. It was crazy. To top it all off, um, it was in 2008. And if you remember, 2008 wasn't the best of financial times um, for the world. And we're asking people, hey, can you send us your money? Because we don't, we don't have a way to make money while we're down there. Why would God ask us to do that? Why would he give us this crazy task to do it, to do? Well, the reality is that we did it, and we were obedient to God's call in our life. God asked us to do something, and even though it came across as crazy, we did end up obeying. Now, in case you're wondering, we, we didn't stay there forever. We're, we're back, right? But uh, I, that's a little in, uh, not important. But anyway, it, that was a crazy move for us. So have you guys, have, has anyone been asked to do something crazy in your life? My kids sometimes think that when I ask them to take the trash out or clean the strainer out in the, drink, in the sink because it's gross, well, that is the craziest thing I would ever ask of them. <laughs> right, Jeremy? <laughs> I'm not talking about crazy stuff like that. I'm talking about really crazy stuff, like big stuff, hard, hard stuff. So we're today... We're going to be talking about a Bible character who did something absolutely crazy. It was what God asked him to do, and it was crazy. The fact, what, what he did was not crazy. No, sorry, what he did was crazy. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. What he did was crazy, but the fact that he obeyed God, that was not. So hold that thought for a second. The, the summer message series that we're finishing up today is... Uh, it's titled Fully Committed. We've been talking about Bible characters who have, who have been fully committed in their lives, and, and we've talked about their stories of, of how they acted out their commitment to God. It's been awesome. It's been a great series. Last Sunday, Clint preached on about David and how he was fully committed to doing the right thing. It's really good. You can watch all of our messages on YouTube or all kinds of places like that. So if you've missed it, you can go ahead and watch it. So at this time, if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to the book of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It'll be on the screen behind me. Genesis is the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's right at the beginning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. Many of you, if not all of you, have heard this story before. It's the story of Noah and the ark. Does that ring a bell? Oh, I've heard of that guy. Noah and the ark, the big boat, <laughs> and the animals, right? Okay, here, we're going to start in verse 5 of chapter 6. <clears throat> the Lord
The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race. Wow. I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Imagine with me if you, for a little bit if you are the only family on the face of the earth that still loves God. Wow, that's, that's pretty deep. That's pretty heavy. And Bible scholars estimate at that time there were probably anywhere from 750 million people to anywhere up to 4 billion people on the earth at that time. Even if it was 750 million, that's well over twice the population of the United States alone. Just imagine if you, were, you and your family were the only ones here that loved God. Man, I think we're in a dark time right now. <laughs> All right, continuing on in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Many, like many other versions say gopher wood. doesn't really matter. We don't even really know what type of wood it was, actually. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. It's eight people. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to, to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Fast forward a bunch of years, the ark is built, animals are there. Then God said to Noah, then, then the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Then he talks about, it goes on to talk about the animals and how they get in and they do that. And then finishing up then in verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So we just read the major gist of the story of Noah and the ark, right? There isn't a lot of drawn-out detail in this portion of Scripture in the ark and what we know about it, but we're going to unpack it, obviously, here in a little bit. So on that note, the title of today's message is Fully Committed to Obeying God. We'll be looking into more how we can truly, truly be obedient to God's crazy, sometimes crazy um, requests of us, but truly be obedient to God without faltering even when he asks us to do crazy stuff. But before we start, let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for all these folks here with us this morning, people joining us online. God, we um, give you the glory. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be ever-present here this morning. Come rest on us, Lord. Move in our hearts. Um, Touch us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would poke us where we need to be poked. Um, I pray that the words being shared this morning would be your words and not mine, God. Bless this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So how did Noah do that? How was he able to fulfill that crazy request of him? Let's just think about it for a second. Put yourself in Noah's sandals, if that's what he was wearing. You, you live in pretty much the desert, and I don't know, there's probably not much water around, bodies of water. It probably doesn't even rain hardly at all. And God tells you, hey, you're going to build a boat. A boat, okay. Uh, it's so big, and it's a really big boat. It's extremely big, and we're going to get an idea kind of how big that is. So he, yeah, a huge boat. It's about a tenth mile long. To give you an idea how it is, we have a picture, overhead view of our church and our property here. I'm going to put that up on the screen. And there you can see our property. You can see Pastor Quint's little Honda Pilot down in the southwest corner of the parking lot. Matt, I think that might be your... Toyota there in the middle, something like that. That's kind of fun. I think we have like four and a half acres, I think. I should probably know that. I'm on the board. Yeah. Um, there we go. We, we got that. Okay. So, again, God told Noah to build the ark 300 cubits long by 50 cubits wide by 30 cubits high. Cubits, you say. What are cubits? Well, I got to answersingenesis.org. These people are awesome. They're the ones that built the Ark Encounter in, in Kentucky. And a cubit was measured from the elbow to the fingertips plus four fingers. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. But so the, they figured, you know, that we're a little taller nowadays than they were back then. So they did some thinking and they came up with 20.4 inches as a cubit. Okay, so the math of that then means that the Ark was 510 feet long by 85 feet wide by 51 feet tall. Okay, that's pretty big. Still getting an idea, okay? And with curvature of everything, it comes out to 1.88 million cubic feet of space inside this monstrosity, okay? Well, how big is that? Well, okay, think of a 3,000 square foot house, okay? With eight foot ceilings, that's about 24,000 cubic feet. So doing the math, that means you could fit 78 3,000 square foot houses inside the ark, okay? It's kind of big. It's kind of big. Getting, getting kind of an idea? All right, go ahead and throw the ark on there. Here's what our property would look like if the ark was built right on it. And that's pretty much the scale. Probably off maybe just by a little bit, maybe a cubit or two. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's it. And if you think, well, that's not that big, well, come out and help us rake leaves this fall, and you'll realize, hey, this is a pretty big yard. <laughs> it is. It's, it's from that corner down to that corner, that's a big, that's a, it's a tenth of a mile, almost. So that's kind of what it looks like. And to have a little bit more fun, we have another photo with um, Clint's pilot now, is right up on top of the front, on the deck. <laughs> He's ready to go. And then we wondered, well, how many pilots can fit on there? We've, 
We did the, we put them on there. Karis did this for me. We have 280 pilots can fit on the top deck, more or less, bumper to bumper. The avenue's packed. Okay. And then a, a more of a modern um, day engineering marvels to get another idea, side-by-side -side view. We have a picture of the Challenger, the SpaceX Starship, and Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark well in the lead of how big it was. So what I'm getting at, the bottom line, it was a huge, huge task, okay? Pastor Clint and I were talking about this when we were prepping for the message, and we said there's probably, that was probably one of the most ridiculous tasks ever asked of anyone, aside from asking Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It was to build this ridiculously huge boat. <laughs> it was nuts. I can't imagine. So how in the world was Noah able to do that? How was he, how was he able to obey this crazy request of him? So in your handouts, I've got two points we're going to go over today. First point is, like Noah, we can fully commit to obeying God by being plugged in. Noah was plugged in. He was plugged into God. Genesis 6-9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Verse 9 says he was, Noah was a righteous man, okay? It doesn't say he was a perfect man. Absolutely not. Uh, we read later then in chapter 9 an account of Noah getting absolutely sloshed on wine, passed out naked, drunk in his tent, and his son finds him, doesn't handle it quite right. Noah gets mad, curses his son. It's like, good grief, the whole soap opera is happening later. You know, it's, it was nuts. Noah's obviously not perfect, we know that. But he was a righteous man. We all struggle with sin. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about that. Romans 7, 18 through 19, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And that's the Apostle Paul. I thought he was perfect. No, we're not, no one's perfect. He was righteous. Noah was a righteous man. He was plugged in. He was connected with God. That's what it is being plugged in. He was connected with God. goes without saying, living righteously is a wise way to live your life. King Solomon has a few Proverbs about this. Proverbs eleven nineteen. he says, Truly the righteous attain life. The righteous attain life. We, we, we receive life. But whoever pursues evil finds death. In 21-29, the wicked put up a bold front, but the upright, or the righteous, give thought to their ways. I like how that verse calls out how the righteous, we who are righteous, we, we make good decisions, so to speak, right? And right there, that's it right there, that is a huge part of obedience, is deciding, making the decision, making good decisions, we have to decide to obey, okay? The righteous give thought to their ways. And one more proverb, Proverbs 10.25 says, When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. I kind of wonder if King Solomon was thinking of the story of Noah and the ark when he wrote that proverb. 
Bottom line, Noah, Noah was a righteous man. He was plugged in with God. Okay, so back to Genesis 6-9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. When I think of someone who is blameless, I think of my late grandpa, Verton Gingrich. Uh, be my mom's dad. He, there he is. Didn't have Facebook back then. He didn't have the best photo of himself. But uh, he's always, that's how I always remember him, wearing slacks, belt, button-up shirt with an undershirt underneath, all buttoned up, nicely tucked in. Whether he's out working in the yard, whether he's in the garage, anything like that. He's always ready to go, pristine, church ready. I don't know. My grandpa, I would say, he stuck out to me as someone who never did anything wrong. Never did anything wrong. I could never see that. Of course, I was biased, but to me, he was a blameless person. He was a, he was a godly man of character who lived above reproach. He loved the Lord with all his heart. And made every effort he could to live a life worthy of Christ. See, he was plugged in with God, my grandpa. It's hard to describe it, but it's, it's as if my grandpa had he, had, he had made for himself some unspoken and all understood pact of blamelessness with everyone. He was the last person to ever be suspected of doing anything nefarious, anything wrong. Like he never would have expected that from my grandpa. Blameless, the definition of blameless is this, free from or not deserving blame. I don't think my grandpa ever deserved blame. And I think that's the kind of guy that Noah was. Blameless. So when I was a kid, I grew up going to church like 20 times a week. And uh, not that much. But, and then also Bible school, everything. We always had the Bible, school, uh, the, the Bible stories. We, I learned about Noah growing up. And I always, we always showed us this picture of um, people laughing and mocking Noah. This wasn't exactly it, but that's very similar to one that I remember. You can, you can see people kind of pointing and laughing and, and oh, what a fill in the blank. You know, what, what's this crazy man doing building a boat? And the Bible doesn't actually talk about any of that. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm guessing it did. I'm guessing he got mocked here and there. Maybe, maybe not. But I would submit to you that since Noah was, a, the Bible, it calls him, he was a blameless man. But because of that, kind of like my grandpa Burton, you know, even people were, even though they were mocking him and laughing at him, if they did, I'm guessing they probably would have said as they walked away, but it's Noah. That man never do anything wrong. We could never blame him for anything, so he's probably right. You know, he probably has a point. <laughs> He was a blameless man. He was plugged in. That's what he was. That's kind of a man that he was. Finishing up Genesis 6, 9, then Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So the oldest person in the room this morning, I'm not going to ask you to say out your age, but I'm guessing well, we're not even in the 70s in this room this morning, but like... Bible scholars think that Noah would have been about 525 years old. 525 when he built the ark. So let's think about that a little bit. I'm 41, okay? And sometimes I feel like I've been on this earth for a very long time. <laughs> My daughter would say, yes, you have. Um, 
and I have personally enough struggles of my own that I deal with every day. <laughs> you know, I cannot imagine living, living through five and a quarter centuries, day in and day out, putting up with this and that and all the evil in the world. Remember how the Bible said that Noah and his family were the only ones in the entire earth that still followed God. I thought we have it bad right now. That's what I call walking faithfully with God, folks. Is anyone else like me? There are days where I just get so sick and tired and fed up with the junk that's out there with the evil in this world. And it's just like, can it please be done? Lord, would you please just come back and end this madness? <laughs> Sometimes I see some nodding heads. Sometimes I just, I just want to be done with this. And that's only been 41 years that I've been putting up with that. Think about Noah. 525 years of it. And the Bible still calls him a man who was you know, walking faithfully with God. That's a lot of grit, tenacity. That's a lot of being plugged in right there. Noah was plugged in. He was connected with God. And it was, in, it was because of Noah's plugged-inness that God decided, okay, here's a man that I know is going to do the right thing. He's plugged in with me. I'm going to download the plan of building an ark and, and continuing mankind, holy mankind, for me. That's right there because he was plugged in with God why that happened. God needed to do something huge, miraculous, and crazy. So he picked someone who was plugged in, who was righteous, blameless, and who walked with him. He knew he could trust Noah with this crazy task. And, and that Noah would act in obedience to it. So that's point number one. Like Noah, we can fully commit to obeying God by being plugged in. And I think that's the first step of fully committed obedience, is being plugged in with God, y'all. All right, so now is point number two. Like Noah, we can fully commit to obeying God by following through. Following through. How many of you know that it's hard to follow through on big tasks? I mean, who am I kidding? It's hard for me to follow through on small tasks. <laughs> My wife will tell you that, definitely. Uh, it's, it's hard. The follow through is tough. It's so hard. Finish what you started. Here's what the scripture says about Noah following through. Genesis 6.22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. This was in regard to Noah building the ark and rounding up all the animals, okay? Then later in chapter 7, after everyone was on board and they were ready to go and the floodwaters came, it said, seven, 7 verse 5, it says, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Bravo, Noah, great follow-through. In the sport of basketball, coaches are always talking about the importance of the follow-through, okay? Um, Pastor Matt LaFree and a uh, great basketball guy. He was on ESPN, just ask him. I'm not kidding, he was. One of his shots back in the day. He was a basketball star. And uh, um, he will know, he will testify that the follow-through on the shot is so important. We have a little picture to put up of a uh, follow-through. So there we got, I think that's Steph Curry. Probably heard of him. 
It says it's beef. It's, it's the, you got to balance. You got to have your elbow and you have to elevate. And then the most important then is the follow through. Okay. If you're just launching up stuff like this, it's not going to go in very well. Okay. The, the physics and the geometry of the follow through put the nice, the, the required backspin on that shot to give you much more chance for that ball to go in to the hoop. It's the follow through. Don't forget it. So according to Bible scholars, it took Noah about 75 years to build the ark. Okay? And I don't think that extent of time, 75 years, good grief. <laughs> it's a long time. But I don't think that had anything to do with him procrastinating and delaying his obedience to God. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I remember, he, I don't remember, it's like you were back then. No, he didn't have chainsaws. <laughs> he didn't have hydraulics, diesel engines, all that kind of stuff. I remember, I was there. I... Sure wasn't. Noah buckled down. I guarantee you, Noah buckled down and got to work. But he didn't just start it. He finished it, okay? The follow-through. If he didn't finish it, we wouldn't be sitting here this morning, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Noah. It's the follow-through. So let's think about it for a moment. 75 years on a very hard task. So my dad, he's 71 years old, okay? And he's a home builder, and he's been in the, in the building industry since he's about 25, so about 51 years or more, something like that. And just now, he's kind of sort of in the process of retiring. Um, a couple years ago, he mainly by himself built his house. Like, the guy is a workhorse. So I'm, it, it feels to me like he's been doing it for an eternity, Okay, and I'm sure he feels that way some mornings too when he wakes up. I've been doing this for an eternity. And my dad, at 71 years, is not even as old as the build of the ark. That's a big build. That's a big task. My dad has owned his own business since he's about 25, somewhere in there. I don't know, most of his career. And I'm guessing there have been many times where he just didn't feel like following through. Ah, I don't want to follow through today. But if he hadn't over and over repeatedly followed through with what he was doing, he wouldn't have learned how to build bigger and better things. When he started out, he was starting out small, with smaller projects here and there. But a couple of years ago, he was able to build a, a really large estate, and it was pretty, pretty awesome. We have a photo of that. And uh, it wasn't just my dad. My brother helped. I even helped. A, I think I put a few shingles on that house. But it's a beautiful estate. And I can tell you, he probably struggled with the follow-through on this place. It's large. But had he not repeatedly stuck with the follow-through, finished the task, he wouldn't be able to do stuff like that. I'm guessing that in the course of those 75 years that Noah was building the ark with his sons and I don't know. He probably contracted people as well. He probably spent his entire life savings. Fortune. He probably spent a fortune on it. I mean, the ark that they built over in Kentucky cost $120 million. And so I'm guessing it cost Noah a lot of money to build this thing. I'm guessing there were probably a few times where Noah got a little grumpy. <laughs> Said, God, I just don't want to do it. I'm guessing that. Another splinter, Lord, really? Like, why am I keep 
why do I have all this back pain, Lord? But he followed through, and he finished it. He finished the task. Talking about something is one thing. Doing it and following through is another, though. Talk is cheap. Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And Jesus' brother, James, says in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's one thing to hear the stuff that we're supposed to do, to come to church and go, Yeah, that's, that's good. Yep, I agree. It, that's great. But it's nothing if you're not following through with it. If we're not following through and obeying what God is putting on our hearts and what he's asking us to do in life, we're disobeying God, okay? Fully committed obedience hinges on our follow-through. So just like Noah was able to finish up that ark and get all the animals all aboard and save humanity. (laughs) And the follow-through was huge. We can do that too. So like Noah, those are the points today. Like Noah, we can fully commit to obeying God by being plugged in and by following through. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.